Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to a new quick hitter from the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman. Our guest this week, producer of The Last Dance, John Weinbeck from Mandalay Sports Media. A great conversation where we discuss the excitement and intrigue around the uh, music soundtrack for the film, along with the emotion and intimacy, which was the Steve Kerr interview that took place in The Last Dance. BJ, what was the first track in The Last Dance when you were watching where you just froze and like um, couldn't believe like this dropped just then? Well, the Eric V and Rakim, when you guys hit that, you know, I ain't no joke. Mm-hmm. I jumped out. I was like, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge hip hop fan. I like, I love the music. The LL Cool J when it came with Kumal D and all of the music. I thought the music that you guys picked was just absolutely fabulous. How did that come about? And I know Rudy is from Detroit, if I believe. Yeah. Yeah, Rudy is is from Detroit, right? I'm from Detroit. So I was like, uh, you know, I had a little pride there. I was like, you know, of course he's from Detroit. You know, it's all about the the music. You know, he's from the D. There you go. Yeah. So how did you guys choose it? I mean, I, I thought the music was fabulous, and uh, I was just uh, like, where do I get this soundtrack from? Well, it is, it's wild because, you know, I know, you know, Jason has a really, you know, encyclopedic kind of knowledge of, uh, I mean, even though he's a, like a, you know, guy from, from Newton, Massachusetts, uh, but like, you know, white guy <laughs> has, a, has, a, has a, you know, great sort of ear for hip hop. Um, and, you know, it's hard because like, on the one hand, you want recognizable, but you don't want it to be the cliched song. But so you have, which one do you choose? And, you know, I was just looking over the list. So we have basically take like, you know, milestone artists from this period, basically from the late 80s to, you know, 98. We kind of have all of them in terms of like just really iconic, whether it's Eric Bean Rakim, you know, Biggie, the Beastie Boys, Pearl Jam, Coolio, um, uh, Oh, Tribe Called Quest. I mean, like, yeah, 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 there's all yeah. the, I mean, I'm a massive Tribe fan. I will tell you the Eric B. and Rakim, that has been in there a long time. That mm-hmm. was in there a, a long time. The Biggie song has been in there, you know, from episode yes. one, you know, been around the world I, for two years. Um, the Stereo MCs connected, the Tribe. Um, th- there was, I would tell you that it was one of the more challenging, and I, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said. I mean, that the, Music is such a, a um, subjective thing right. that, you know, what I like um, may not be what, you know, the Jordan people like or the NBA people like or whatever, but, you know, it came, it, it, it's just so awesome how it came together. And I'll tell you that the, the biggest thing was, you know, you're not even talking about the, the composed score, like, you know, that, that opening theme song has been there for a long time, but like all of the other moments and it's, um, Tom uh, Caffey. I mean, just <laughs> unbelievable. And and also how much it changed, you know. And so, 
it, you know, there were cuts that came through, you know, as recently as let's call it, you know, late night, you know, late uh, December of last year, where none of that stuff was in there. And yeah. so it, it was that to me, it's the combination of the licensed pop cues, the, the licensed pop songs. Those are great moments. And, and we, we frankly, we, we, we put in more of them. I mean, Jason put in more of them sort of as the season, as the series went along. Um, I think in part because it's like, hey, this is such a trove of, it's such an iconic series. Like, let's put in these great songs. But I think what's really cool is like, you know, let's call it, like, use the Beastie Boys as an example. Like, it's not the, maybe the most expected Beastie Boys song, but it's still a Beastie Boys song. Right. Um, and like, I'm trying to remember which, uh, oh, can I kick it, right? So the the tribe will be used. I mean, that's a very popular song, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it may not yeah. be the, it's not a war tour. You know, it's not the yeah, one yeah. that hit the charts. And, <laughs> So I, I mean I I I loved it and so oh um, it, was, it, it was, uh, was it was I could only I imagine guess. I could only imagine the loopholes and things you guys had to do, but when you played when you played Outcast Rosa Parks uh-huh. I, I I fell out and then you, you, no, so you I can't believe and, you say that a, a guy yeah. I know from Atlanta had the same reaction oh god I, I and, like I like I like passed out and then and then you stepped into like so I like the underground hip hop, right? So when you played like KRS-One, Step Into a World, and mm-hmm. these, you, you, you know, and then you you came back with, you know, and when you, you know, you did like, you did Nas and Lauren Hill, I was like, if I rule the world, I was like, yeah. I was like, you, you just like, cause that was all, that was like the music captured that moment. It captured that time from here. So uh, it took no, me back I mean, to- No, I mean, I think uh, that what you're hitting at is those of now you're a couple years you're a few years older than than me right but you 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 came out of college in what 1990 89 yeah okay so you're almost 10 years older than me i graduated college in 98 jason actually right. graduated college in 98 and so there's sort of you know different levels of nostalgia like for me i mean like tribe <laughs> and <laughs> and and uh, the beastie boys i mean that is like my you know teenage you know from like the time i'm 12 years old to 18 you know i list them all the time and so right. then there's people who, if you're a little older you associate it with the time you were like in your younger 20s you know and so and now all of us like i'm 43 and you're probably what 53 or whatever yeah, and yeah. so we, we have different stages of our lives but now we can connect into the nostalgia of the music and the nostalgia of the sports it's not unlike honestly our parents like in the 70s or in the early 80s when they were making movies and TV shows about the 50s and 60s. It's like Happy Days was in the late 70s, about 20 years removed. And like Wonder Years, which came out when we were in the late 80s, was about the 60s. So it's now that time. It just it feels like a trip to think about it that way. Because to me, 1998 is not that long ago, but it is <laughs> 22 years ago. So um, it's just, uh, you know, it's all part of the kind of the kismet and the, the magic of, of what what this has become is just that like it hit at the right time and and but at the bottom of it it was just you know very very well executed which is something I'm, I'm you know just very grateful to be a part of that's that that's awesome um you know a lot of different um emotional touch points in this and something that really got to got me was just the uh episode nine the um it was a combination, it's a combination of Steve Kerr and, and the flu game. And, you know, BJ, how much of that Steve Kerr story did you know ahead of time in terms of the details of his his father and his family and the, the effect that had on him 
obviously before the world knew who Steve Kerr was. Yeah, I, I was very aware of the the entire story. So, um, you know, I've I've been knowing Steve since uh, 1980 something, 85, so you, 86. Yo, so, you, so you knew Steve. Oh, that's right. You knew Steve when yeah, he was in Arizona, Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah. So Steve, uh, one of my best friends at the time, is still um, uh, good friends, is uh, Sean Elliott. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I've been knowing Steve for quite some time, and it's always amazing. Like, you know these stories, either I was there or one person removed. So it's just interesting to, as a former player, to watch yourself and you're talking about something 20, 30 years later, because, you you know, whoever thinks that they're going to, you know, for me anyway, it was like someone else's life was always more exciting than my own. <laughs> you know, I didn't look at it that way uh, as we were playing back then. You're just young, trying to do what you do. But I've been knowing Steve for God, it's been over 30, 30 years. years. Yeah, it's over 30 years. years. So yeah, I was very aware of that. And um, you know, it's uh, you know, Steve is terrific. We played together in Chicago and played against each other for many years. And uh, he's he's one of the, the the you know great guys in this league. He's a class act, and uh, I know his family. You know, right out here, he grew up right out here in uh, Pacific Palisades, right, right out here yep. in, in L.A. So. Uh, he's terrific and uh, one of the one of the best guys one of the best guys you'll ever meet. I'll tell you. So that was a particularly meaningful day. Uh, you know, one of the interviews that I was able to to go to. We did it in New York, and Eric, I may have mentioned this to you. Um, you know, I've been obsessed with Steve Kerr. I, I grew up out in L.A. I knew about um, you know his father, <clears throat> and you know I have family in Israel, and, and I had I'd known about that, but. Um, the day we shot him in New, we actually shot it in New York. It was a rainy day in New York. It was the that that morning was the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. Um, so and and Mike Tolan and I had breakfast with Steve before he did the interview with Jason, and it was just you know it was a heavy day. And you know Steve is obviously very politically motivated, you know minded and you know aware of what's going on. And, and it was a heavy atmosphere. And it was a rainy day, and you know we go up to the the suite to do the interview, and it's just. He's so damn good. He's, he's a great storyteller and he, with detail and, and, and heart and humor. And then, you know, I would say maybe two-thirds of the way through the interview, he, Jason asked the question about the fathers. And I knew it was coming. And you never know because he's told the story before. He had done the big story for the New York Times on it. But I think the combination of that that day and its heaviness, the weather, um, and Jason's really kind of – demeanor um and and empathy in, in during the the interview even though he's very, very straightforward i just think it was done in a, in a way that steve kerr felt you know this was a safe environment to do it and so his emotion was just real and there's an intensity there and it was i feel very fortunate to have been there for that and i knew you know that was you, you, we had gold that was just like that's gonna be a great pod and it came the, the parallel stories of his father being murdered that way and, and Michael's father being taken that way, I thought was very powerful. We hope you listened to the full conversation with producer John Weinbeck. Check out the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman, each Friday through the weekend, presented, of course, by Pure Hoops Media. Enjoy.